was on the trip. Yeah, so we're glad to have him back. And uh, he was here last night, and it's just a joy to see him again. He had a, a, a really a life-changing experience on the Israel trip, and it's nice to have him back. It's also been an exciting week because the women's fellowship started. I think we've got uh, at least three or four. Are there four? We've got four women's groups that are launched on uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And is there another day? They're all on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I've just heard really, really good reports about it. Uh, and so I want to really encourage the ladies in the church. And if you haven't joined uh, one of these groups that the women are doing, I'd really highly encourage you to talk to Becky or one of the, one of the women leaders in the church and, and get involved because it's been a, a really uh, a good group. And it's going to be a, a good growing time for the gals in the church, making friends and also uh, deepening your walk with the Lord. And, um, and then I know that uh, people have talked about it already, but our men's group, in this church is fabulous. It is so solid, and uh, I really am grateful for the guys that lead it, and I'm grateful for Rob Pock and putting this conference on. Uh, we've never had a men's conference bringing in a speaker from outside, as far as I know, here on this island like this, and so it's a real treat. And um, it was funny, I was asking Rob the other day, I said, so how, how are we doing with signups? And he was kind of sharing with me, and he says, by the way, are you coming? And I'm like, Rob, of course I'm coming. And he said, well, you haven't signed up yet. And I'm like, oh, you know, haven't signed up. So I had to go sign up. And uh, so I want to encourage the guys, if you are like me and just forgot to do it, to go ahead and take care of that today. Well, uh, today we're going to uh, turn to the book of Acts. And so I'll have you turn there. And uh, we're, we're going to reintroduce this book. Some of you uh, know that long, long ago in a faraway place, we were actually studying the book of Acts. And uh, we were interrupted uh, through various uh, events that took place through Easter and Father's Day and Mother's Day and also my trip to Israel. And then we took that long uh, journey that was a wonderful journey in the study of heaven. And, uh, and I, I, I know that was a real blessing for me and I think it was for you as well. But we want to get back to the book of Acts. And so I'm going to reintroduce the book and, uh, and do a review today, uh, kind of punctuating some of the lessons that we've learned along the way so that it's not simply an academic exercise of reminding us where we've been, but it becomes an opportunity for us to be reminded of the lessons that we learned and to put them into practice. So I'd like to begin by reading the first 11 verses of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And Lord, every time that I have the privilege and opportunity to teach and to just even read it on my own, God, as we study it this morning, I'm just completely blown away and grateful that you've given us your word, that we might know you. This great revelation, this unveiling of your heart and your will and your purposes for our lives. And I pray as we study this morning that you would have your way and your word would accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it this morning. And so we yield ourselves to you and say, Father, it's not our life, it's yours. Do with us what you will and instruct us this morning according to your power and your grace and your love. And we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. This book of Acts that we're relaunching into, we're actually going to be picking up in the second part of chapter 10 uh, in a couple of weeks, is really the second part of a two-volume series. The first part is the book of Luke. Luke is the author. We'll be talking about that in a moment. But the first book, Luke, was all about the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts picks up where that left off, and it picks up with the ascension of Christ. It picks up with... Uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the birth of the church and the advancement of the kingdom throughout the known world at that time. It's often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, but it's kind of a misnomer because if it's going to be called the Acts of the Apostles, it should re really be called the Acts of a couple of the Apostles, and they weren't even all really Apostles. But two of the primary characters in this book are Peter and Paul. But the other disciples, uh, many of them aren't even mentioned, and the ones that are, are kind of in a, in a cursory fashion. They're on the sidelines, they're participating, but they're not key figures in this event. Um, I like a better uh, way to describe it, which is the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at the book, the Holy Spirit is on every page. He's working, he's orchestrating, he's the driving influence and agent for everything that happens in the book of Acts. And um, I remember years ago as a, I was a, a few years old in the Lord, and I decided, because I kind of picked up on the Holy Spirit's activity in the, in the book of Acts, and I decided, you know, I'm just going to start circling all the places where the Holy Spirit is involved in this book. And I was surprised and shocked and, and uh, really delighted to see how often the Holy Spirit's mentioned in the book of Acts. In fact, um, I just would put HS for Holy Spirit on the side of my margin and circle it, and on every page, I've got two or three notations of his activity in the book of Acts. So this is really about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his work. And uh, as we're going to talk about toward the end of this message, his ongoing work, because it ends in chapter 28, but it's not the end of the story of the New Testament church. And we are still in that church age and that work of God through the church. Um, interesting fact, little point, is that 28% of the New Testament was written by Luke. A lot of times we don't think of him as being a real important writer in the, in the book of the Bible, in the New Testament, but he wrote more than, than John did, and he wrote more than the Apostle Paul did. There's more verses and information in the book of, uh, of Luke and Acts than there are in those other writers. So he's, he's got a very important part and an important role in this particular book, uh, and, the, and of course in the Bible and the New Testament. This morning I want to talk about uh, the authorship, the recipients, the purpose, and the outline of this book, and along the way, uh, have some application for our own lives. But let's begin with the authorship. We know that, uh, as, uh, as the Bible tells us, that it's the author is of this particular book of Acts is Luke. His name is only actually mentioned three times in the entire New Testament, in Colossians 4.14 4, uh, 4, 4, and 2 Timothy 4.11, and also in Philemon 24. 
And from those passages, as well as from the book of Luke and Acts, we, we know certain things about him. Number one, he was a Gentile. He's the only Gentile writer of the New Testament, by the way. And uh, contrary to many people's confusion, he was not a disciple. So he was not one of the 12 apostles. But he was a Gentile convert to Christianity and a follower of Christ. He was also a physician. So we know right away that, that uh, Luke was a well-read man. He was a scholar. Uh, he was well-educated. And we know that as well from his, the detail of his historical writings and his, um, his concern for the facts and the figures and the dates and the times and the place names and the people that he includes in both of his books. Um, there's an there's a interesting story about Luke by Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey was a, a great archaeologist, uh, very well known in the 1800s. And one of uh, Sir William Ramsey's uh, life ambitions was to disprove the Bible earlier on in his life. And uh, when he decided to disprove the Bible, he, he started with the New Testament and he went to the heart of the writings of Luke in the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. And the question is why? Because there are more place names and more people names and more historical facts in the writings of Luke than in any other writer in the New Testament. So he said, if I'm going to disprove this archaeologically, I'm going to have to go to the guy that's got the most facts and figures and information in his book. So he figured if he could undermine the writings of Luke, he would undermine the entire Bible. And so off he set on this venture to disprove the authority and the reliability and the inspiration of the scriptures. Well, several years later, uh, he became a Christian as a result of his studies. And it was because every time he tried to disprove a fact in the book of Luke, he found that the archaeological record kept proving again and again, as they were doing more and more digs during that time, uh, the authority and the authorship and the reliability of the scriptures through the Holy Spirit of God. And so this is what uh, Sir William Ramsey said after many years of studying. He said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. In short, this author should be placed alongside of the greatest of all historians. Isn't that interesting? This, this by the way, is what happens to every man or woman uh, who comes to the Bible with an effort to seek out the truth. They come to Christ, and it certainly happened to many others as well over time. Now, the other thing that we know about Luke is that he was a frequent traveling companion of Paul. We find him in Troas and Philippi. Uh, we find him in uh, actually the final chapters of this book of Acts. He's one of the few that traveled to Rome with Paul as Paul was in prison during those final days of his life. He's described as a fellow laborer of Paul in Philemon, uh, verse 24, and he was a faithful friend to Paul. In fact, one of the sad things about Paul's ministry, at least in my estimation, is that after pouring his entire life out for the kingdom, for the gospel, preaching, uh, planting churches, supporting the churches, encouraging the churches, and uh, really laying his life down for the fellowships, he said at the end of his life he only had a few people that he could really rely on and that were trustworthy and faithful friends. And one of those men happened to be Luke. And in 2 Timothy chapter um, 4, verse 11, this is Paul's assessment of the friendship and reliability of this man named Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 26 that many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And as I was thinking about this, I was praying for you this week, and I was thinking, God, give people in our church friends like this. You know, may God grant you the kind of friends that when everything goes south, 
that you've got faithful friends. You've got people that will hang with you, that will not give up on you, that will keep loving you through thick and thin. Friends that, that just don't go away, that don't leave when the pressure comes on. That's the kind of man Timothy was. All the other disciples, all the other leaders fled because Paul was going to prison. Anyone associated with Paul was, was a prime candidate for arrest, and yet Luke would not leave aside. And I prayed for you that God would give you friends like that. And I also pray that God would make you friends like that. There are people in your life that, uh, that need your friendship. They need you to be there when, when everyone else leaves. When they've blown it, when they've made mistakes, when they've, uh, when they've really just you know, lost their senses for a short period of time and made some decisions that have kind of made them unfriendly and not people that people want to be around. One of the joys that we have as Christians is to be men like Luke, who when everyone else leaves, we're still standing there praying, committed, loyal, faithful. And so I'm praying that God is going to give you friends like that and also make you a friend like that. I believe that that's already happening, uh, but I prayed for you that, uh, for that this week. We also know in addition to Luke being the author of this book that ultimately it wasn't Luke, but it was God himself. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all the scriptures are inspired. They're God-breathed. And they're given to us for four strategic reasons. One is for teaching. The other is for rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And the Bible tells us why. So that the man, or we can add woman, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, that we might be properly uh, trained for doing the work of God. And um, we like the training and the teaching part. Uh, sometimes the rebuking and correcting is a little harder to receive. But if we really love each other and we really care about the body of Christ, we will invest ourselves in all four and, uh, and do everything that we can to be an encouragement to each other and to help each other in our walk with the Lord. And so we know that ultimately the author of this book is God. And as uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that uh, all the scriptures are spirit-inspired. They were not the result of a prophet's own interpretation, but they are given by God uh, as they spoke, uh, as they were spoken to, men were spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And so what we have in this book, I just want to encourage you again. I know you know these things, so forgive me for stating the obvious, but what we hold in our hands is precious. And what we hold in our hands is given by God through his spirit for the benefit of the church. And I just want to say briefly that uh, I know that it's difficult to be disciplined to have regular time in the word every day. And I know that, uh, that oftentimes if you're not in some leadership role or if you're not leading a Bible study or accountable to someone, it's very easy to go a few days or a week or a month without really being in the word. But these words, as Jesus said, are life. And the Bible is life because it's the word of God and ultimately the author is God himself and they're, they're patterned after and shaped after Jesus Christ and his heart. And when you have fellowship in the word, your life is transformed. When you have fellowship in the word, your life is changed. And, and your thinking becomes in alignment with the thinking of God. And uh, as I've shared before, I, I'm just not in alignment with God apart from his word. I just don't think like God. It's not in my character and my nature to think like God does unless I'm being reminded from the scriptures how God thinks. And so I want to encourage you, uh, whether you've been regular in the word or if you've been struggling, is to get back into the word, to fall in love, not with the scriptures, but with God who delivered the scriptures that we might know him and be related to him and have good relationship with him. And so this book is given uh, by God, but it was given to a man 
named Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who passed it on to Theophilus and now we have it in our hands for our benefit and study as well. We know that, um, uh, that the recipient in this case was Theophilus. Interesting name, it's a Greek name. Uh, his name is actually a compound Greek phrase from theos and phileo. Theos is the word for God and phileo means uh, friend or brotherly love. And so his name, the two words combined, means a friend of God. And uh, I think, what a great name to have. I mean, I, I, I got Bob. I don't know what that means. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Bob, I just feel kind of ripped off. It's, it's not very interesting. It doesn't really mean anything. Uh, my name isn't in the Bible anywhere, uh, unless it's something about bobbing for apples or bobbing for swords or something that happened in the Bible. But, uh, but you know, this guy has a really fabulous name. It means friend of God. And so we find right away that there's something about this man's character uh, that's, that's worth noting. And I'm going to take a couple of minutes to talk about uh, this man, Theophilus. We know that he was a Roman citizen. In fact, he was probably in Rome at the time of Paul's arrest and during his imprisonment. And so Luke is probably writing, we're not quite sure where from, but he's probably writing from somewhere in Jerusalem. And he's writing, and it's a long way away to Rome, but he's writing and, and informing Theophilus about these events because I, I'm conjecturing now, but it's possible, very possible, and I'll share why in just a moment, that Theophilus was in some position of leadership that he might be able to help the Apostle Paul during this time of imprisonment. And so we know he was a Roman citizen and uh, quite likely of high-ranking government official. Now, how do we know that? Well, because in the opening verses of Luke, Luke writes him and calls him most excellent Theophilus. Now, he's not just, you know, sometimes I think, you know, you guys are excellent, you know. But that's a word that we kind of use in kind of a flippant way. But at that time, in Paul's, in, in Luke's writing, he's such a detailed, uh, careful man with, with his verbiage and his grammar and everything, very scholarly man, he wouldn't be going calling anyone excellent just because he liked the guy. It's a, it's a term of respect for those in authority. In fact, the only other two times that we have this word excellent as it's used in relationship to a person is in the book of Acts in chapter 23 and 26 when he's talking to Felix and Festus who were Roman governors. And so by calling him most excellent Theophilus, we have a very good idea that he was a high-ranking government official in Rome. And that's very important as we begin to kind of understand why he's writing, why Luke is writing to this man, and why this man has an interest in the writings of Luke. Um, we also know that though it was written to Theophilus, that there's also a secondary recipient, and that's the church. That's us. Oh, thank God that we got these letters. A and it's, it's, it's a miracle only in the sense that God delivered them and then has preserved them all these years uh, for our benefit. And so we are the also the recipients of these letters and the beneficiaries of having um, uh, the writings of Luke. Now, what's the purpose of this book? Well, the first thing that he tells us in, in the book of Luke is that he wanted to give an orderly account of all the things that had happened. Why would an orderly account be important? Well, it would be important for a, a, a government official like Theophilus to have a good, objective understanding of what really happened because he was getting rumors and he was hearing stories and he was hearing uh, very derogatory comments from Roman officials about the uh, about the these Jews who were converting to this uh, new religion called the way and uh, he was also hearing primarily from Jewish leaders who were opposed to Christ and were trying to get messages to Rome to denounce it and to squash uh, this 
budding early Christian movement. And so he set out to uh, accomplish this, this uh, project of giving an orderly, thorough account of the birth of the church and the ministry of Christ and this work of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that Theophilus was hearing about. It was also to verify the arrival of the Holy Spirit. It really describes uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through the church, convicting men and women of sin and converting them to faith in Christ and giving them courage to stand up against Rome. And so one of the questions that Theophilus obviously would have is what makes these guys go? You know, why don't, how in the world do they have the courage to give up everything, to walk away from their businesses and to, uh, uh, to lose their families and, and to actually be crucified and die and be stoned and flogged and still worship God? How is that? And so Luke tells them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I want to share with you that the Bible says that we're to be constantly filled. That's it. It's in the present tense, which means that keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I just want to ask you is just a kind of a, a pause here as we're reviewing things, is when was the last time that you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? Sometimes I forget. You know, sometimes I'll go, you know, a week or so, and I just, I'll forget, and I'm thinking, man, am I doing ministry in the flesh? Am I trying to live the Christian life in my own strength? And I'll just say, Holy Spirit, forgive me for, for not asking you. Now, he's, gonna, he's still active whether we're asking or not, but, but there's, a, there's something that happens in my life when I, when I submit to him and say, you know what, I can't do anything without you. I need your power. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your love. I need all the things that, that, that you give in order for me to live the Christian life. And, and it may be possible that if you're like me, maybe there have been windows in time in your life where you've really almost forgotten to even recognize who he is and what he's doing in your life. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you today to, to talk to him again and say, would you fill me again? I, I've been, maybe you're feeling like you've been a little bit wrung out and a little bit worn out and struggling a little bit in your walk and not real motivated to read the word. One of the most important things you can do uh, to get back on track is to yield your life again to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so he writes about this ministry and power and agency of the Holy Spirit. The third pur purpose for the book is to explain to Theophilus how these disciples went from, uh, from fearful men who were hiding to fearless preachers of the word. How did this, this wonderful, remarkable transformation take place? And so he begins to describe that in this book. And again, it goes back to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The fourth reason for the book is to document the birth and growth of the church. I'm sure Theophilus was wondering how a movement could grow exponentially at such a rapid rate. And so Luke began to give account of the first preaching of the gospel through Peter and 3,000 get saved and then more get saved and more get saved and it just seems to be exploding in growth. And for Theophilus, that's helpful information. How this would happen? How is it possible that the church could grow so rapidly? The fifth reason is to justify the inclusion of the Gentiles. One of the questions that Theophilus might have been asking is that how is it that, that a, a, a new way of thinking, and it's really not new, but for the, for the Jews and Gentiles it was, this way of following Christ, how is it that so many Gentiles are now adopting this, this new experience, this new walk with God, this new relationship? And, uh, and especially in light of the fact that it was predominantly in its infancy a Jewish experience. How did it happen that so many Gentiles were brought into this experience? And so Luke was able to share and to explain 
how that happened, how it moved geographically from Jerusalem to Rome, how it moved theologically uh, from Israel alone to now including the Gentile community and the church, and racially how it moved from Jew to Gentile. And so Luke explains that. The sixth purpose for the book is to uh, bridge the gap between the Gospels and the Epistles. You might uh, understand the significance of this just by thinking, what, what if Acts wasn't there? What if we didn't know about Acts? Well, we wouldn't have a clue how the Holy Spirit came. We wouldn't have a clue about how the church started and what the early church focused on. So much of church planting that people do today focuses in on some of the key verses in the book of Acts on how do we do it? Well, we go back to the book of Acts to find out how to do it. We wouldn't know about Paul. Can you imagine going from the Gospels with no Paul to reading some of his writings and he's so authoritative and so clear and, and he's such a leader and we're like, where did he come from? We'd have to go to extra biblical sources to find out about Paul. But we have all of that recorded for us in the book of Acts. And so that was another purpose for this particular book. And the last thing that I'll mention briefly is that it's to present a defense for Paul's apostleship to the church in Rome. Now, why would this be important? Well, because Paul was under arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. He was going to spend his final years there and then finally be martyred. But many people believe, and this is conjecture, it's a possibility, uh, but in light of who Theophilus is and Luke's writings, it's quite possible that Luke is writing this letter to Theophilus to prepare Theophilus to do a trial brief for Paul so that when Paul is there, he's represented fairly and properly and with truth. And so quite likely this letter, both of these letters, Luke and Acts combined, were sent to Theophilus for the purpose of not only informing Theophilus about the faith, but also helping Theophilus be able to prepare a proper defense for Paul before the Roman government. No, he was not trying, he was not an insurrectionist. No, he was not trying to overthrow Rome. No, he was not a, uh, a, a rebel. Yes, he was simply a follower of God and his life had been transformed. And so that's the message that that Luke sends to Theophilus for a potential uh, uh, trial briefing to help the Apostle Paul during this time of imprisonment. Now, there are a few key verses. Uh, well, there's one key verse that I want to touch on and a few key ways to outline the book. The key verse is Acts 1.8, and most of you are familiar with this, but it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Most books in the, uh, in the Bible, in fact, all of the books in the Bible, have a key verse that helps you understand and comprehend the entire book and its purpose. It's kind of a summary statement of everything and everywhere the writer is going to go. And um, it was kind of interesting. This, this week we started our, our Bible college classes again for this semester. And as we started, uh, we're in the book of Revelation, and we found that there's a key verse there too in the book of Revelation. And it talks about... Uh, Jesus saying that I want to talk to you about the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will come. And that's actually an outline for the entire book of Revelation. And in this particular book, we can outline it in one of two, well, actually one of three ways. The first is just on personalities. We've got the apostle Peter, and he's actually covered in Acts chapter 1 through 8. And then Acts chapter 9 through 28 is all about the apostle Paul. So we've got a very clear break with the personalities involved, the primary lead characters in the book. The second way to outline the book is through this key verse of Acts 1.8. The ministry begins in Jerusalem, and then with concentric circles expanding out, we've got Judea and Samaria, which were uh, areas of Gentile community, 
And then we've got beyond that to the ends of the earth, and the known earth at that time, which included Rome. And so we have this expansion of the church that began in a, at the epicenter in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and then gradually through a variety of events began to expand outward uh, toward the ends of the earth. And by the way, that's the way God always wants to work. He wants to start in a, in a, in a locale, in a certain place, and we can consider one of the places that he started is in this church. And as he starts in his church and does a work, then that work expands outward to the, to the island, and then to the islands, Hawaiian islands, and then out to California, and then out to Asia, and out to Israel, and to wherever God has us go. But that needs to be on our mind, is that that's God's agenda, is to take this message and this gospel beyond our lives. The temptation is, of course, is that to just be happy and content with what God has done, and to just kind of settle back and say, you know, I just love the Lord, and I love my family, and everything is good. Well, I, I'm going to share with you one of, the, one of the things that God did with the early church is that uh, he allowed the church, even though they were told to go into all the earth and preach the gospel, they got very comfortable in Jerusalem. They thought, what could be better, man? God is moving here. The Holy Spirit's here. We don't know if he's anywhere else. You know, we're not going anywhere. God had told them. Jesus Christ said, go into the, all the world as, you, as you're going and preach the gospel. But they were stuck in Jerusalem. Nobody wanted to leave. And so God allowed a persecution to come to the church. And for the church, it was like a nightmare. But it moved the church out into God's plan, which was the ever-expanding adventure and journey of sharing the gospel. And so as the early church fled, they shared the gospel. And as they went, churches were planted all over Asia, all over the Middle East. It was amazing what God had done. It was a powerful work of God through the Middle East. And um, so what I want to share with you, just as kind of a vignette here as we pause briefly, is that I don't want you to lose vision for God's purpose. It's not just that we would be happy and comfortable and well cared for. But God has a purpose for us to, to launch out. And we need to be thinking that way. And I want you to pray for that, for this fellowship, that we would keep launching out. God keeps opening doors of opportunity. But I, I, I want to encourage you not to be on the sidelines watching it happen with other people, but to enter the journey and enter the adventure yourself. Because as you enter into that, you'll experience joy you've never known before and usefulness in the kingdom. And you'll be partnering with the great work of God in the times that we live in. And so we find that that's another key way to outline the book. The last way to outline the book that I'll mention is by key books. And I want to go over this fairly briefly. If you can think of this way of outlining it as the book of Acts and then having seven books within the book of Acts. And each of these books begins and then finally finishes with a summary statement. For instance, the summary statement of the first book, which is the birth of the church in Jerusalem that covers Acts 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 47. It ends this way in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so at the end of each one of these little subsections of the book of Acts, there's a summary statement about the explosive growth of the church. And then it moves on to another, uh, another topic or another part of the historic move of God within the early church. The things that we learned about uh, when we studied chapter, uh, chapter 1 and 2 was the selection of Judas' replacement. And we talked about how to make godly decisions. We studied about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and Peter's explanation of those events. And we talked about the fellowship of the early church and how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread and fellowship and to prayer, and how those are still the fundamental things that we as a church need to be doing. We need to be concentrating on the word of God and learning, being taught 
uh, and also not just by me or by uh, uh, leaders, although that's a part of it, but on your own as you're studying the Word of God on a daily basis and being in fellowship, you know, not just kind of occasionally coming and not being a part of things, but, but really being a part of the body and the ministry of the church. And then thirdly, the breaking of bread. It, it just means not just communion, which is part of it, but it means just having fellowship. Like last week, I want to thank you guys for that potluck that we had. I know you guys loved it too, but I was just like, this is, is there anything better than being in the body of Christ, eating local food, you know, on a Sunday afternoon? I just thought, this is it. I love it. It was great. And so this breaking of bread develops the relationships between us and helps us to have our hearts knit together. And then prayer. How important is prayer? It's just the foundation of everything that God does. And so we need to be a church that is a praying church and families that are praying families and people, Christians, that are praying Christians. And then we covered the second subset book, The Growth of the Church in Jerusalem from Acts 3.1 through 6.7. And, uh, and again, it concludes in 6.7 that um, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And again, each one of these subsections of the book of Acts ends with these summary statements. But in that, we learned about uh, Peter healing the crippled beggar, being brought before the Sanhedrin, preaching a gospel boldly for the second time. And I love his statement in Acts 4.12 where he says, there is no other name given to men by which we must be saved. That's a bold statement. You know, that's the kind of thing that's easy to say at church. That's an easy thing to say around your family. And that's an easy thing to say with Christians. But it's not so easy to say in an unbelieving environment. And it's even harder to say when it could cost you your life. But these guys were bold and fierce. And I like what Rob said about, uh, about men being warriors. That's what God is wanting to raise up. Men that are fearless. Men that are courageous. Men that, that don't... Uh, don't flag and don't fail and don't crumble and don't run and drop their weapons and, and take off for more comfortable surroundings. But, but men who are willing to take a stand and say, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to live. And to conduct ourselves, not according to what's comfortable or easy or convenient, but we need to live for Christ. It's that kind of testimony that is going to make a difference in, in this community. And so we, we find Paul um, you know, standing up. The, the believers are sharing all things. And then we find the, the sin and punishment of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and the, we talked about the danger of really trying to look better than we really are. Uh, you know, it's a temptation for all of us. Everybody here wants to present ourselves in, in, in a certain way that is possibly a little bit better than we really are. And, um, and it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a safe thing to do and it's not an honest thing to do, but it's something we all struggle with. But we learn through the lesson of Ananias and Sapphira the importance of just being exactly who we are as much as we know how to be. And uh, to humble ourselves, to, to, to pray when we're wrong, admit we're wrong, when, we, when we're struggling, admit we're struggling, uh, not to play a hero, but to be willing to be interdependent with each other. That's a really important part of what we learn through the lessons of Ananias and Sapphira. We talked about... Um, the choosing of the first seven deacons in the church and how important it is uh, when we look at the list of deacons. These guys were godly guys, you know. These guys were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and a love for the body, and uh, they were like Christ. And, and the church chose their own because they saw in these men, and in, these, in this case men, that were completely, uh, you know, concerned for the welfare of the church. And, um, and I just want to commend the, the leaders in our fellowship, that the leaders that we've got in this church are really godly people. And, uh, and I want to encourage you, if you're a leader, thank you for serving 
as under-shepherds of this fellowship. Thank you for uh, pouring your life out. Thank you for praying for this uh, body. Thank you for caring for people when they're struggling and, and when, they're, when they're not here or when something's happening in their life. Thank you for the phone calls that you make. Thank you for the, the visiting that you do. Thank you for just loving the people in this fellowship. It, it just means a tremendous amount to the men and women in this church. And I want to say uh, to the rest of us that, um, that God is calling and he's looking to raise up more people. As our church is growing, we need more men and women to step up to leadership. And so the type of leaders that we discussed and discovered in, uh, in the book of Acts as they were appointing these deacons were people that were just in love with the Lord. You know, they were evidencing the fruit of the Spirit. Um, they were full of the Holy Spirit. And they were really reliable men and women who were willing to come alongside and lift some of the load so that the teaching and the praying could continue from those that were in leadership at that time in the church. And um, then we, we went on to book three, which was the expansion of uh, the church in Judea and Samaria. And it really focuses on three individuals, Stephen, Philip, and Saul, who weren't even apostles. And uh, we, we studied Stephen's arrest and, and his message that he gave to the, to the Sanhedrin and his stoning. And again, just a courageous, courageous example of a man whose heart was completely given to the Lord. And then we find in uh, chapter 9 the conversion of Saul on the Damascus Road and, and really the information about how the, the, the most, you know, <laughs> the greatest opponent of the gospel that we have record of in the New Testament, how he becomes a Christian. And the lesson that we learned is just never, ever give up on anybody. Have you guys got anybody that you think is just a lost cause? There's no way that that person is ever going to get saved. Well, the conversion of Saul on the Damascus Road is God's answer to that question. Anyone anytime, anywhere, can receive the Lord, no matter what their past, no matter what they've done, and they can become a fruitful believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And then in book four, chapters 9, 32 through 12, 24, the inclusion of the Gentiles. And uh, we have an explanation of P uh, Peter healing uh, Aeneas and Dorcas and a reminder of God's power to heal us physically. And then the conversion of Cornelius and his household, which is where we're going to pick up our text in two weeks. But this amazing divine appointment and, um, you know, I want to share with you, I'm, I'm excited about sharing it in a couple of weeks because it, we're going to talk really about the anatomy of a divine appointment. How does God do this, you know? And, and how can we be involved in a life like that? And I have to tell you, and I've shared this with you before, that I spent years of my Christian life looking at other Christians that seemed to be so vibrant. I was in love with the Lord. I was reading the Bible, I was serving in the church, but there were people around me that would be going, say, you know, they'd have this meeting and that meeting, and God would place them here at just the right time, and they didn't even call it a divine appointment, but they just said, I got to tell you what God did this week, and I'm just like, okay, tell me, and in my heart, I was kind of a little envious, honestly. I felt like, how come I don't have those experiences, and how come my life just seems to be kind of doing the right thing, but, but that exciting adventure part of the Christian life, I'm watching these other people experience, what do I have to do to get there? And I, and I have to be honest, I was a little too proud to just admit it and say, can you tell me how to do that? <laughs> I didn't know how to just simply say, would you help teach me? Because I was thinking, I should know how to do these things. It must be something deficient in me. There must be something about my life that's not right, that God's not doing this. And it took me a couple of years of, of uh, kind of bumping along to finally figure out how it is that God begins to, begins to use a man or a woman and turn their life into an adventure so that every day you get up and you have no idea what's going to happen, but you know it's going to be good. It's like Christmas. You know, you don't know what you're going to get, but you know it's going to be a good gift. And that's the way the Christian life can be. 
It's not like that every single day, but that should kind of be the mark of our life is that we're experiencing these interactions that we recognize at the moment and even after the fact, whoa, that was the Lord. That was the Holy Spirit. And we're thanking him and praising him for his involvement in our life. You know, I want to encourage you, if, if you've been kind of in, a, in, a, in an area in your Christian life where you're just kind of marching through, waiting for Christ to come back, you're missing out big time. And, and I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be that way, and we weren't designed to experience our life that way. God loves adventure, and God wants you to experience it. He wants you to have the abundant life as you partner with him in ministry. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking more about that. But this adventure and this, this interaction between Cornelius and Peter is a phenomenal story. And then book five is, is about the first missionary journey of Paul. And then uh, the, uh, the next book, six, is his second missionary journey. And book seven is his third missionary journey. And then finally, his arrest. And so that's another way that we can kind of look at the book of Acts. And, and really, I prefer the, the, the second two, looking at it as Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then the other parts of the earth. But I see in more detail that seven book within a book outline for the book of Acts. And I find it very handy and very helpful in helping me to understand how Luke is thinking and how he's writing. I want to close by saying that um, one of the things that, that the Lord ministered to me this week was just the importance of the body of Christ. And that's one of the things that's going to come up over and over and over in the book of Acts. As the church rallies during times of crisis and they share what they, what they have among them, very much like the island did after Aniki. You know, it's a very much a communal time where people are pulling together and you're letting strangers come into your house and stay with you for a few days. And, um, and, and the body of Christ took on this, this whole new love for one another that, that Rome didn't ever know. And it blew them away. In fact, some of the historians that were unbelievers said, see how they love each other. That was the, the, the most obvious thing to an outside observer was this tremendous agape love, this care for each other, this sacrificial laying down of life for one another. And not just for the church, but also for strangers, for people that didn't even share their faith. They began to love in that fashion, really caring for each other. I was thinking about that this week because um, on Wednesday I, I, uh, I had some some things that were difficult that happened that I had to, uh, to deal with. And, and, uh, and I don't know, I just kind of woke up uh, in a kind of a dark mood. You ever have those times when you just don't wake up feeling like you're on top of the world? I kind of woke up that way, and then I had about three things that happened during the day, and it was like every one of them I felt like set me back in how I was feeling about the day. And uh, by the time Thursday rolled around, I just, I really wasn't, I was kind of depressed, to be honest. And by the time Friday came, I didn't want to come to work. You know, it wasn't work. It was just, I was in a spiritual battle. I could feel it. I knew that Satan was just, you know, uh, bringing a kind of a black cloud over me. And I hadn't had that happen in quite some time. And so um, for a couple of days, I was trying to battle it on my own. And I kind of told Becky and she prayed for me. And, and I came to work on Friday and I, and I really wasn't, uh, uh, you know, in that great a mood. But, you know, you have to show up. You know, that's part of, that's a big part of life and, and, uh, and living for God is that whether you work at a, uh, you know, wherever you work, own a business or whatever, you can't just say, I'm not going to work. So I came to work, and, and uh, in, in the course of the morning, Malia asked how I was, and I said, uh, well, I'm not doing that well, you know. Um, and so I went into my office, and I, I think I said, Would you, you know, if you pray for me, that'd be great. And so 
um, I had to come out of the office and bring some, uh, some documents to her to, to have her sign. And, and, uh, and I came out there and I saw her praying and I put them on her desk and, and I left. And I don't, she didn't, I don't think she saw me or I just set it down quietly, but she was at her desk just praying. And, um, and then I went back into my office and did some more work and I had to come out and give her some more stuff. I was just kind of unbearing and catching up from the trip to Israel. And I, I came back in and, and, uh, and she's praying again, you know. And I, and I'm, and I, I put the documents down and I, I just said, Malia, are you praying for me? And she says, yes. And I was like, would you pray with me for me? <laughs> you know, because I was just really needy at that time. And she was so kind and, uh, you know, she didn't want to interrupt what I was doing, but she was praying for me. But I really needed somebody to pray with me, you know. And so I asked her and she said, sure. And she prayed with me. And then um, a couple of other people prayed for me during the day. And in, in about an hour, it all just lifted. It, it, nothing changed, but I didn't feel that sense of being overwhelmed anymore, and I didn't feel depressed anymore. I felt really encouraged, and I thought, man, just where did that go? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for people in the body that care for me and were willing to pray for me, and it, it meant so much to me. Why am I sharing all this with you? Well, because last night, as I came to church, there were several people that came up to me, and I said, how are you doing? And they said, not so good. And I thought, we need to pray for you, and we're a real praying church anyway. But I wanted to leave some time this morning because, you know, with this number of people here, it's quite likely that there are quite a few of you that have stuff that you'd love to have prayer for. And you're like me, you know, the temptation is, you know, this will only last a little while and I'll get over it and I'll be better tomorrow or whatever, but tomorrow has come and gone and you're still struggling. And one of the things that the Lord has taught me over the years is the importance of humbling myself and, and saying, you know what, I could use some prayer. You know, I need some help. And I, I've been a Christian like 30 years and a pastor for, you know, just, sh just short of that. And, uh, and I, I, more than ever, I need prayer. I, I want to thank you. One of the brothers in the back, thank you for praying for me. He told me every night when I was in Israel, he was praying for me. It, it was that I would come back alive, right? Okay, good. I didn't, he didn't really specify. Okay, just kidding. Uh, but, you know, knowing that people are praying, it was just like, wow, I can't tell you how much that means. To know that you guys are praying, I, I face spiritual warfare every single day because of the role I have. But so do you, because of the role that you have. And what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes in the closing of this service, and I want us, to, I want us to, to encourage each other in prayer. And I just want you to, just right now, if you have struggled this week and are bearing a load alone and you would like prayer, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Just do it right now. There are probably going to be many of you. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. I'm not. I need prayer. Anyone else? You're struggling, you've got a burden that you're trying to carry, that you're, you're bearing alone, that you don't need to, and you'd like to have some prayer? Okay. What, what I want to do is that I want us to pray for you, but I want, I want you guys that didn't raise your hands to pray. Are all of you that, that, uh, that didn't pray, you got, some, you got some Jesus juice, you know? Are you, are you geared up? Are you got something to give? <laughs> you, 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 you're ready to love these folks? Because it's just a matter of time before you're going to need it from someone else. But I want our church, I want our fellowship to be a place where we love each other. And we're not just, I, I can't stand the thought of any one of you going home feeling lonely or depressed or isolated or under attack without having someone come alongside you and say, we love you and we're with you and we're praying for you and we're going to pray for you this week until whatever you're going through is lifted or changed by the power of God. So I'm going to ask you to do something um, uh, real simple is I want the people that raised your hands is I want you to stand up and I want you to kind of get in an area where people can pray for you. If you want to stand right where you are, that's fine. But I want you to stand up. 
Don't anybody else stand up, but those that have this need, you guys, some of you that are real close to each other, unbunch. Get away from each other, <laughs> unless you're a spouse. But kind of spread out a little bit so that people in our fellowship can get to you. We got kind of some bunching o- over here. Can you guys over here just kind of find uh, an area to go? And um, okay. Now what I want to do is that I, you guys need to, can you, can you kind of maybe go out into the aisle a little bit uh, just so that people can, can get to you? Okay. I want to pray just for a moment. And what I'm going to do is set the rest of you loose to just light the fire and pray for these friends and care for them and love them. And uh, it, if you can take just a minute to people that are standing to say what you need prayer for. Be brief. Don't go into a long explanation. Be brief. If you want to share more after the time of prayer, you can do that. Uh, But uh, share just briefly so that people have some information to pray. And then the rest of you, I want you to just stand up and gather around these people and pray. Why don't you go ahead and do that right now? And I want to lead us in a brief prayer just before we get started. I want to make sure everybody has somebody. Everybody get around these folks. Don't everybody go to one, one person. Okay, we, we have some people over here. Steve, right, your family, can some people come over here? Matt, are you going to pray for them? You guys get right around them. Thank you. Has everybody got somebody? Everybody that, that is standing, nobody's like got just kind of absorbed into another group because nobody came to pray for you yet? <laughs> okay, everybody's got somebody? Okay, let, let me pray and then I want you guys to pray and we're just going to end our service that way um, with Bruce's permission. Is that all right? So I don't want to short-circuit the prayer time. So when you're done praying, uh, we have refreshments over here. Uh, Love each other, encourage each other, make some friends. But for this short time, I just want you to pray. And when you feel like you've uh, done what the Lord wants you to do in terms of supporting these people in prayer, then you go ahead and uh, fellowship and have a great day. Father, thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the book of Acts. That Here we are, Lord. It's like it's chapter 29 is happening in the church. And I pray, God, as these saints pray for these other saints that you would do what you did for me this week on Friday through the love and the care of the body is just lift the burden just shoulder it with them for a short period of time and that you would answer in a big way and that you would hear our cry for our friends for our sisters and brothers and that you would answer from heaven and that you would lift the heaviness and that you would bring the answer and that your name might be glorified so father fill the hearts and the minds of those that pray And for those that are being prayed for, I pray that you would let them be blessed and prepared for the time when they, in turn, will be able to bless others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.